From Mech City Magazine, this is Behind the Byline, the podcast that does a deep dive into what makes a story work, speaking to journalists about some of the most interesting articles to find out just how they got the scoop. Today's guest is Will Hodgkinson, chief pop and rock critic for The Times. One of the last journalists to ever interview Prince before his untimely death, Will was flown to the Caribbean to find out firsthand what it's like to meet music royalty. My name is Will Hodgkinson. I'm the chief rock and pop critic of The Times, and I've been a music journalist for about 20 years. Okay, so you've always been interested in music then? I was always interested in music. I got into music, so I was growing up in the 80s, mm. and I didn't really like the music at the time. It was the birth of MTV, yeah. and it was um, Madonna and Prince, who I love now. Mm. Actually, I did like Prince, but a lot of the stuff, it just kind of left me cold. So you weren't going into this interview with any sort of fanboy fever? No, I went to do this interview with him very much as a journalist, yeah. not as an ins- a crazy fan. And this was in 2014, this was for promoting one of his albums at the time. Yeah, it wasn't long before he died. I got a call from Danny Eccleston, who okay. is the deputy editor of Mojo magazine. And he said, would you like to interview Prince? And of course, I said, yes, yeah, yes. I'd love to. And uh, Danny said, oh, it's, it's meant to happen in the next few days in Minneapolis. Great, big yeah. adventure. Anyway, I didn't hear anything, and then there were emails coming, not from anyone apart from Dan- Danny, saying, okay, they've cancelled, but it should be happening soon. And the days kept passing, and there kept being some sort of vague news that it was going to happen, it never did. And it's getting closer and closer to Christmas. Yeah. And I've got two kids, and I was thinking, Prince is a Jehovah's Witness, they don't celebrate Christmas. Oh. I wouldn't put it past him. To make me go out and interview on Christmas Day. On Christmas Day, yeah, which would be a very hard, hard it's a very choice. Prince move then, that. It would be a very Prince move. He's yeah. a real, he was a real control freak, and he really loved to test people. Mm. He absolutely loved to test people. Anyway, that passed. It didn't happen. Then on January the first, there was a uh, the information came through that mm. I'd be flying out to the Caribbean the following day. <laughs> so I, I flew out, paid for by him. You know, it's not bad. First class. First class. Okay. Yeah. First time, my first time in my life as in first class to the Turks and Caicos Islands. Okay. And this was no information, no PR. And then you know, very, very mm. um, uh, mysterioso. Quite off the grid as well. Off the grid. Yeah. You never do interviews in places like that. You do interview if if you know generally you do interviews in a sort of London you know record company office. But yeah. if you get flown out anywhere, it's New York or LA. It's not to the Turks and Caicos. So really strange. Um, and he, and then there was a message from his manager. Okay. He didn't really have a manager. It was very odd. Because um, he didn't have a label at the time. Wasn't no it? label, no label, no real manager. Just these diff- these various names. There's a name of a, a British Indian woman. Mm. I think she's called Kieran. Um, but this was this other guy. And I got a text from him when when that I turned my phone on on the plane landing and it said. Prince will see you now. And it's like, oh my God, I've just been on a plane for 24 hours, whatever it was. And then there's another text, you know, obviously that came through a few hours previously. Yeah. And it said, Prince won't see you now, just go to your hotel. So I got a good, good night's sleep. And then the message was that I would be, a car would be coming for me at midday the following day. Okay. And then yeah, I think at four o'clock a car came. So I was just waiting in the lobby. <laughs> and it dropped me off. In a, you know, as you'd expect, it was this kind of quite flash limo. Yeah. And it dropped me off 
it, honestly, it was like a shrub. It was just there was nothing there. It was. I think I was. Yeah, I think the coastline was quite nearby. I couldn't see anything at all. And it's middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. And, he, and the driver said, "This is where I've been told to drop you off." I got out and waited for a couple of minutes, and a guy turned up, a young guy, sort of mm. quite hippie-ish, or rather a sort of you know the sort of surfer dude guy, yeah. you know, healthy looking, longish hair. Vegan like, diet, probably. Yeah, yeah, vegan diet. Maybe in his late twenties, he went hi. I said, "Who are you?" He said, "Oh, I'm Prince's manager." <laughs> really. <laughs> So off we trundle off in, on the golf buggy, and we go to this incredible um, sort of like sort of uh, fantasy island type place. Yeah. Um, very very luxurious. One of those places where you almost can't tell if you're inside or outside because the you know the water might be inside and the uh, you know the, the the sofas might be outside. It's that yeah. sort of place. And um, I no sign of Prince, but I did meet Prince's band, who are these three women called Third Eye Girl. Then I sent back, and I was thinking, I don't think this Prince interview is ever going to happen, yeah. you know, and he's famous for cancelling. Apparently there was, um, there's a, a famous case of one journalist who went to Paisley Park and spent a week wandering about Paisley Park, which is this kind of industrial complex out, out in Minneapolis, yeah. and didn't get the interview the entire time, and Prince was there the whole time. He was in the vicinity. He's in the building. <laughs> yeah, apparently he was just avoiding him. So, you know, there was that possibility, and, yeah. and no journalist ever wants to go off on a long trip like that and come back empty-handed. That's mm. always the great fear. But then, I think it was about midnight, there was a... On the same day. On the same day, so very tired. So it's meant to be midday and now it's midnight. Yeah, it's meant to be yeah. midday, yeah. So, so the interview had happened in the in late off, early evening. Mm. And then I was sent back to my hotel. Another car came for me at midnight. And then I waited and then at about two o'clock mm. in the morning... Prince appeared. Had a white turban, a white Maharaja's suit, and these white flares and white stilettos. So he's tiny, but he looked a bit taller because he had a good extra two or three inches. Mm. With this incredibly beautiful girl, he never said a word. And he sort of just appeared. It was like he appeared in a puff of smoke. We were were in this sort of glamorous Bond villain type place. And um, Prince just emerged. And he was very, very instantly intimidating and had this incredible air of glamour around him. Mm. Even though, you know, generally what happens when you meet, when you interview someone is that you have... Celebrity brings its own aura, which has nothing to do with the person. It's to do with the machinery of it. And then you meet the person and very often within five minutes, they're just a person. You know, you may like them, you may not. They may be difficult, they may be nice, but they're just a person. Just like you and me. Just like you and me. But Prince did seem... Otherworldly, one of the only people I've ever interviewed who did did have that air about him, mm. and he, it was a very very odd interview. I wasn't allowed to record it, and I wasn't allowed to take notes. So you've got to memorize everything. Yeah, this is two in the morning. <laughs> oh God! And he played me his new album, mm. and he stared, and he sat opposite me, and this this kind of this everything was white leather, and uh, to match prints. Yeah, album. exactly. Yeah. And I was I was sitting there, and he was facing me and watching me as he played me his new album which is a very kind of it wasn't the best album he'd ever made by a long shot but it was kind of funky rock yeah. it was all big guitar solos and stuff it sounded a bit like it's, he's, he got into Led Zeppelin funny enough <laughs> so you know um, anyway so he was and so the girls were there he was there his beautiful assistant uh, mm. companion whoever she was magician's was assistant yeah magician's yeah. assistant not saying a word she was there and I was listening to this album and thinking, I better, you know, if I don't, if I better show some enthusiasm, otherwise, yeah. the, you know, the floor will open up and the sharks will eat me. And <laughs> that's what it felt like. And then when we did the interview, it was really, really strange because 
a lot of the time he kind of snapped into this working class African American vernacular. Yeah. Um, he was funny and he was sassy, and he was saying, and he'd be kind of um, quite sharp. You know, he. I remember him saying, "In America, black people can't make." Black people don't get second chances in America. Leonardo DiCaprio can make one bad film or another and he'll be fine. Chris Rock makes a bad film and he's out. Yeah. And he was saying, and that's how he felt. So he was going, he's you know, quite politicised, quite, quite sort of very racially conscious, which you sort of don't think of Prince as being. Yeah. You don't think he was funny either. You didn't seem quite a funny No, guy. you don't. And he was funny. Um, and it was, but you know, the terrible thing for me was I was having to remember all this. <laughs> See, <laughs> so, I was just trying to say it all in. I was trying time. to. And then of course he... Uh, then after two hours he disappeared as he came almost in a puff of smoke I hadn't mm. even noticed he'd gone and I was saying to the others can you remember everything anything and they're going no <laughs> you know because all the, I think they'd all been completely overwhelmed by it as well even though they worked with him yeah. so it was a very it was a very strange situation it was I mean it was uncomfortable mm. but absolutely fascinating and as a journalist it felt like I knew this was brilliant. I knew it was, I knew when it was happening that this was going to be one of the stories of my, my career. Yeah. But I, I also felt very nervous because I was thinking, how am I going to relay this? How did you? How did you get it all down? Just write notes immediately afterwards? Yeah, and I think I wrote... I, I, well, I had my computer right there because mm. I already knew that I wasn't allowed to... I'd already, already been told that I couldn't tape it. Okay. And then when I got there, I found out I couldn't take notes. Um, so... I was thinking, well, Prince is very clever because what he wants is for you to... He's, he's keeping his aura. Yeah. Because what you're forced to do is you're forced to write about the surroundings and the situation and how he looks and the mm. whole thing, all of which is stage-managed. Yeah. So he had prepared everything. And I've even felt... I can't prove this, but I even felt that when I was doing the interview with Third Eye Girl, that he was somehow vetting me. I was testing you, I, almost testing the waters. I really feel he was, and I feel I wouldn't be surprised if he had a secret camera in that room <laughs> and he was watching from some control control room elsewhere. It felt like that because then when he came and met me, mm. you know, there was that long time lag between the interviews, as if you know, so he could he had the opportunity to cancel. Yeah, and then the first thing he said was, "Heard, heard you had a nice chat with the girls." So in other words, they must have given him the it's thumbs quite up. Quite threatening, that. Yeah, he's very threatening. He's yeah. very intimidating. He's a very, very intimidating person. It was, um, he's quietly intimidating. He doesn't, he never raised his voice. And, you know, no aggression. Yeah. But it was, there was a very much a feeling that uh, if I said the wrong thing, I'd be out. Mm. Did you ever hear back from his people after the piece was out? Or? Yes, I did. And, the, and, that's, and there's, a, there's a second chapter to it all. <laughs> he, gave, he agreed to answer some questions by email. Okay. Uh, and I gave him a list of, sort of 25 questions and he answered about six. <laughs> Ignoring the ones he didn't completely want. unhelpful. Yeah, but good answers for for, for what he said. Um, I remember him liking Jack. He said that he he complained a lot about the lack of real musicianship, mm. and he's he felt that we'd reached a stage where kids aren't taught to ha- how to play. He's quite conservative, you know. Yeah. It's, it's quite a lot about kids kids not getting the education they need not having respect. He said that what he liked about the girls in the band was that they'd had good family relationships and they respected their parents. Okay. You know, (laughs) quite traditional stuff. Yeah. It was all very strange. Um, But anyway, so the second half of the whole experience, 
which in, in its own way was, was as strange, was the news that he was going to be holding a press conference in front of three people, of which I, I was allowed to be one of them. Quite exclusive press conference. Yeah, yeah, very exclusive. And this was going to be in... There's a singer who he collaborated with called Leanne Le Havis, who's yeah. British. At the time, she was living in a tiny little uh, terraced, you know, ex-council house in... Leytonstone, if I remember correctly. Okay. It's not the Caribbean then. Yeah. It's definitely not the Caribbean. <laughs> and it really was the weirdest thing. This was even weirder because I got there and there's a bouncer literally standing next to the green wheelie bin outside this <laughs> uh, outside this house. And I saw it just looked like a student house. And I went in and the thing is, of course, Leanne Le Havis had managed to wangle a bunch of her mates to be mm. there. Yeah, and her brother was there, and a few others, and they just looked like a bunch of kids. You know, they they, they probably were. Yeah, <laughs> they were. And then, so there was Matt Everett from Six Music, mm. me, and a woman from Reuters, and you know the news agency, and we were just we. So Prince turned up. We were sitting there, wait, again waiting for ages. Yeah, Prince turned up with Third Eye Girl, and he sat there and he played a couple of songs acoustically, and then we all. St- stared in silence because everyone was so overwhelmed mm. and he said well does anyone have any questions <laughs> I was really quite annoyed <laughs> so then we started and, then, and he was then beginning what he called his hit and run tour where he was doing mm. these, these uh, hastily announced gigs in small London venues yeah. and that night he did um, he did the electric ballroom and he did this rehearsal which was one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. Mm. It was absolutely incredible. And then I saw him the following night, which was a gig I was reviewing. Um, and, and again, it was incredible. And then, and that was the end of the piece. And then the piece was done. Yeah. Um, so it was a very, very strange experience. It was, I, th- I think what happens in, with journalism sometimes is that um, experiences like that which are stressful mm. and difficult make for the best material yeah puts you on your toes almost puts you out of your comfort zone he was very much doing that and apparently that's what he did you know mm. he was he was famous for that he was famous for uh, sacking musicians at a moment's notice yeah. but also you know he'd get these musicians in and then he'd suddenly say right you're playing saxophone or something <laughs> you know when they're a guitarist or you know he would he would make things to, he would keep people at their edge Um, which is a way of staying in control, but also getting the best out of people. Mm. So you must pass his test, you'd say. I think so. (laughs) I never heard anything back, and really sadly, I mean, it was the last big interview he did. He died not long after it. So, yeah, it was a real privilege to meet him. Um, I think what tends to happen with those situations is that you always wish you had more, even though I had a good chunk of time with him. You always always wish, it's like, why didn't I ask that question? Why didn't I find that out about him but in a way he was such a mysterious figure that it would have been sad if somehow that that mystery was ruined yeah. by you know him just being a human after all mm, it's almost better to keep him that way he, he definitely maintained that that uh, aura of you know invisibility and hiding in plain sight oh, that sounds fantastic yeah it was a good experience <laughs> sounds wonderful yeah. You've been listening to Behind the Byline. I've been Lucas Oakley. Thank you very much.